As we open God's word, let us come before him in prayer. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we, Lord, want to come before you. And Lord, maybe we are already standing in awe of your presence as we gather here. Lord, maybe our hearts need to be reawakened to your glory, to your amazing power, to your goodness, to your steadfastness that you have shown towards us, your people, who were not a people, but you have called by your name, You've called by the blood and sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that as we would open your word, that you would open our eyes and we would behold your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has laid on my heart that we would open to the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, and we might be looking at some other passages, but this I want to um, begin with. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are being saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. If we had the time, we could look uh, at the entire letter to 1 Corinthians, and we could be reminded that Paul is writing this letter to a church that is in terrible crisis that uh, we, we can see from the opening, opening of this letter, the first few chapters, that there have been divisions, that some are calling themselves by Paul, some are calling themselves by Apollos, by Cephas, and they're starting to divide themselves among party lines, as, as it were, um, in these different camps. Paul has to address that, that crisis. Um, there's sexual immorality that is rampant within the congregation. Um, and, and not only that, but it has gone unaddressed um, and and 
And there's this arrogance that is within the congregation towards, towards this, this fact that is within the church. Paul needs to address that as well. Um, Christians are suing one another in, in chapter six. They are, they're taking one another to court. Um, they are not trying to, to make peace, uh, with one another. They, they, they are demanding their rights from one another and they're trying to squeeze it out of each other. Um, and that's a crisis that Paul has to has to address as well. There's the crisis of of the gifts that are the, the Corinthians' understanding of the spiritual gifts and how they have elevated this one gift of speaking in tongues on a pedestal that is far above all these other gifts. And Paul has to reorient them uh, to the reality that all gifts within the body of Christ are beautiful and vital to the health of the body. Um, and we should value each and every member and the gift that God has bestowed upon each. Um, <clears throat> here he's addressing another crisis, uh, and uh, it is the crisis of the first Corinth- uh, the Corinthian church at this time seems to have started to question, or there were people who were coming in and preaching that Christ or that there's no resurrection, and Paul must address this issue um, because this is the most. Um, as, as we can see by the language, this is the most um, terrible of the crises of them all, that people are departing from faith in the resurrection. And uh, looking at the, the language here, <clears throat> um, he, is, he is talking about the gospel in verse 1. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. He has to preach the gospel to them again. And this is something that is crucial for the church to remember. This is not just a gospel that is meant to be preached toward the unbeliever, towards the person who has not yet accepted Christ. Um, and it's not just the gospel that a church in crisis needs to be reminded of. But this is a gospel that we see Paul preaching in all of his letters, whether the church was in crisis or whether the church was, was thriving and abundant uh, in the spiritual fruit that God was bringing forth, Paul was preaching the gospel to the churches in his letter, in every single letter. <clears throat> and so the gospel is not just for those who have not yet been saved. The gospel is not to, to the, the believer who's straying from the gospel. The gospel needs to be preached to us all the time. We need to be reminded of the good news and what is the good news? Like if, if, um, someone on the street were to hear that you're, you're a Christian and were to ask you, what is this gospel? What is this good news? Like, what is the biblical response to that? And what is, what is the good news? What makes it good? And what makes it news? And we see here Paul defines the gospel very succinctly, uh, very beautifully. <clears throat> um, in verse 3, he talks of it this way, um, I delivered unto you first what I had also received, which is very important because the source of the gospel is not Paul's thought himself. It is something that has been handed down to him. It is, is of the greatest importance, of the greatest treasure. Um, what you also received, and he calls it a matter of first importance. Um, in, in the King James, it says, I delivered unto you first of all. That first of all, um, if you look in the Greek, it's, it's not just saying that this was the first thing that I preached to you and then I preached to you a bunch of other different things because this is the important thing to preach to you at the beginning. Like, first of all, as in like, this is the most important thing. Like, I preached to you 
as a matter of first importance. And if whatever he's about to say, he's about to summarize the gospel, whatever this is that is this gospel, this is the matter that is of first importance. That it is a doctrine that is above all other doctrines. Actually, all other doctrines gain their power and their source and their authority from this one doctrine, from the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not all Christian doctrine, like, and we see Paul doesn't go into all Christian doctrine here. He's talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what that has done for us, its effectiveness. That is the gospel. That is not the only thing that the church should be teaching, but it is the most important thing that the church must always be keeping as a matter of first importance. And uh, all the uh, Paul was teaching lots of other doctrine within 1 Corinthians. Like you can see how he's addressing each one of these crises and giving very good, biblical, um, wise, and gospel-rooted teaching for this is how you this is how the church should respond to these situations. Um, <clears throat> but all of these other teachings that are biblical that are within the church that are within scripture that the church should be teaching, they are not at the same level. You can take any any one of uh, church's teachings. We could go back to 1 Corinthians 5, where there's sexual immorality within uh, within the body of Christ. Um, the, our, the church's doctrine on sexuality and how we should conduct ourselves and how God intended us to, to live that aspect of our lives is very important. And when we, when we walk contrary to that, we... Uh, we destroy our lives, um, and it, it, it takes us away from God. And yet, what is, and we can, we can see this, um, if we go to, uh, to 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 5, it says, like you were, or perhaps it's chapter 6, um, <clears throat> that, uh, yes, um, so this is right after he's talking about people suing each other. First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? <clears throat> he's reminding them of this, um, and uh, because some are, I guess it, it appears to be that some are are starting to sleep with prostitutes. Um, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Um, And then verse 11, and such were some of you. And I would say all of us were in this category those who were estranged from God, those who were captive to our own sins, with our own desires leading us further into darkness and death and away from God. Such were some of you, but ye were washed, and ye were sanctified, and ye were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. That these things 
Yes, the, the church should teach these things, that these things will lead you away from God, that those who follow these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But how do we become rescued from these things? And how do we stay away from these things? And how do we, if, if we fall into them, how do we receive, how do, how do we get pulled back to God? It is through the name of the Lord Jesus and through the Spirit of our God. All of these other doctrines, like, uh, don't do this because you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Don't do that. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. They all are stemming from the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that in and of itself is not good news. <clears throat> that these, all these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like, great, well, that's, that's all of us. Um, the good news is that God has provided a way for us to be rescued from these things and to be sanctified from these things and to um, to give us the power over these things by his grace so that we do not have to be held captive to these things anymore. <clears throat> All other doctrines fall under and come out of the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um, the good news of Jesus Christ is not just what God has done for us by forgiving us of our sins. It is also the good news of what Jesus Christ is doing for us right now through his Holy Spirit working in our lives and sanctifying us and bringing us more and more um, into the image of Christ, which he has designed for us from the very beginning. It is good news also for what God is going to do in our lives. That it's not, um, that we have a hope and we have a future. It's not just that, yes, I've been forgiven and I can, and God gives me the power to live a good life now, but it's also that he is going to set all things right. That in a world of brokenness, where we still struggle with the brokenness within us and the need for grace and forgiveness on a daily basis, that God is going to, through the power of Christ and, and his atoning work on the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is going to make all things new for those who trust in him and who put their faith in Christ. <clears throat> I would like to turn to Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> um, as, and as we're turning there, like we see when we're uh, in 1 Corinthians, um, by the end, like Paul is, has reminded the Corinthians of, look at all the witnesses who have seen the good news themselves. They have seen the power of the resurrection. Um, and we can, we can abide in this sure fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, <clears throat> And then he talks about how the word of the resurrection came to all these different people. And then what's so beautiful is he includes himself at the end of that list. And that's what the, the good news of the resurrection, the good news of Jesus Christ needs to be for each one of us. It's not just, oh yeah, there were lots of witnesses. Jesus really did raise from the dead. But has he appeared to you? Has he stopped you in your tracks? from doing the destructive things that your sin um, and brokenness has been leading you to do, and your blindedness, and has he opened your eyes to who he really is? <clears throat> and then can we say with the same joy and confidence as Paul, as he has appeared last to me? <clears throat> when, 
we not only know the truth of the resurrection as an apologetic fact, but as we know it as the essence of our new existence and the ultimate reality of everything that we have, then that is what's going to lead to transformation. We shouldn't expect um, a surface-level faith where we abstractly believe in the resurrection and only as just kind of a point of information to lead to any true transformation. Does this, the fact of the resurrection, has it planted itself into your heart and into your soul? And as as believers, where that truth has planted itself into our soul, um, are we are we daily reminding ourselves of that good news? Are we speaking it to each other? We should be preaching the gospel um, from the pulpit. We should be preaching the gospel in every Bible class. We should be preaching the gospel in every conversation that we have. Like, how does the good news of Jesus apply not only to my eternal salvation, but to the here and now of daily life? That do we really believe that Jesus is all-powerful? That he had whatever difficulty you're going through, and everyone is going through difficulty of, of some form or another. Um, whatever hardship you're going through, whatever struggle within yourself or struggle that's happening from the outside, do you really believe that Jesus has the power to deliver you from that? That Jesus has the power to, through that difficulty, transform you more and more into his image? to give you victory over temptation and sin and the brokenness of the world around you. <clears throat> we need to be preaching the gospel to, ourselves, to each other at, at every chance that we get. Um, I believe it is true that uh, what we end up talking about is typically a good indicator of what we love most. That if you really, really... Um, love, you know, fill in the blank, like you, um, your spouse, if you really love your family, um, if you really love, um, you know, like cars or, um, you know, this, like science or whatever it is, right, that you just can't stop talking about it just because you enjoy it so much. Like, are we talking about the gospel like that to each other just because we love it so much and we can't stop talking about how good Jesus is? Um, if the gospel is boring to us, um, we need to ask God to awaken our hearts. Because the gospel should never be boring. It should always be new and fresh and amazing in our eyes. It should always be news. That's what makes it news, is it's always like an amazing fact that we never get used to. That we never say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. If we're doing that with the gospel, we need to pray for God to shake us out of our sleep because until that happens, we are not going, we're going to miss out on being transformed by the gospel. It is that good news that transforms our lives. Romans chapter 10. Excuse me, sir. Sorry, I know where it is on the page of my Bible. (laughs) Having trouble finding it here. Um, Ah, here we go. Okay. Um, uh, Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him, this we're talking about Jesus here, shall not be ashamed. 
For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord in sincerity and truth will be saved. And that, if, if we can't accept that, um, then what we're probably running into is it's a gospel plus something else. That we're, we, in, in our, in our mind and in our hearts, we don't really believe that we are truly saved by God's grace through faith. That really it's by God's grace through faith plus something else. No, it's whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in sincerity will be saved. It's the gospel plus nothing. And as the gospel take root, takes root, it is going to transform our will so that we desire what God desires and we leave behind the ways of the old ways that led to death and we are being transformed into the new creature, the new creation that God wants us to be. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and that will lead to us living a lifestyle which will be empowered by the gospel um, which will be, be us being more and more sanctified so that we can walk worthy of this high calling that God has called us to. But it continues from verse 13. <clears throat> verse 14, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Um, like, have you ever like tried asking someone for help when you didn't believe that they could really help you? Like, we need to have a belief and a faith that whoever we're calling on, the name of the Lord, that he is actually going to be able to help us when we call on him, that he's going to want to help us, that he is ready to help us. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? We should be filling the airwaves with this Jesus so that when the unbeliever and the believer alike hears the name of Jesus, we are either reminded or maybe we're they're, they're hearing for the first time that if I call on this name, then I will be saved. <clears throat> Whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And bring glad tidings of good things. We must be filling the airwaves. That preaching the gospel is not just for the person who's been gifted to be the evangelist within the congregation. Preaching the gospel is not just for those who have been in the ordained positions of minister and elder within our church. Or Bible class teacher. That preaching the gospel is all of our solemn, not duty, but privilege. It is our duty, but it is also, we must see it as a privilege that we can't get enough of it. And it is in the proclamation of the gospel to each other to remind us of its truth and its power, um, but also to, um, to show the world that we can call upon the Lord and be saved. May we all remember to call upon the Lord for our whole lives, um, we are we are saved by crying out to the Lord, um, and and crying out in faith, and just taking hold of the grace that He's given us through Christ. But I would also say we are saved for the privilege of crying out to the Lord. 
We are saved for a relationship. We are saved so now we can have full access to God and we can open our hearts to God and we can, we can, and He is open to hearing our voice and we can commune and fellowship with Him and walk with Him in the Spirit and in prayer and cry out to Him on a daily basis. So may we remind each other of the good news of Jesus Christ so that we can be reminded to cry out to that name and to cry out not just in desperation for salvation, but to also cry out in joy for what he has done for us. May God bless his word.